presenting this month's special series, Focus on Men's Health. From cancer to heart disease to fertility, we're bringing you conversations on the latest in health issues that affect men. While vasculogenic erectile dysfunction is the most common type, neurogenic erectile dysfunction is often the most difficult to treat. What novel treatments are on the horizon? Welcome to our special segment on men's health. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry, your host, and with me today is Dr. Anthony Bella. Dr. Bella is an Assistant Professor of Urology at the University of Ottawa in Canada and also an Associate Scientist at the Ottawa Health Research Institute, as well as the Director of Urologic Basic Science Research, with a primary focus on the molecular mechanisms of cavernous nerve response to injury and the identification of novel treatments for neurogenic erectile dysfunction. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Bella. Thank you, Leslie, and thank you for the opportunity to talk a little bit about neurogenic ED. You know, this is a very important concern for the 230,000 men who are diagnosed with prostate cancer yearly in North America in that one of the things that happens with treatment, be it surgery, radiation, or brachytherapy, is a loss of potency, and I think that's what we'll focus on today. Well, let's back up. What causes neurogenic ED besides things like prostate cancer? It's a great question. So first of all, we know that about 20% of all ED would be primarily neurogenic. The variety of causes for this include spinal cord injury, brain lesions, which can include Parkinson's disease, strokes, tumors, peripheral neuropathies, again, common things like diabetes, chronic alcohol abuse. These all end up affecting the nerves that go to the penis, the nerve endings, or result in a deficiency of neurotransmitters. And give us a sense of numbers, how many men are suffering from this? So again, let's look at the population after radical pelvic surgery. We're talking about 230,000 men each year diagnosed in North America for prostate cancer alone. And we know that from these, about 60,000 new cases of ED, and again, we're talking primarily neurogenic in origin, occur. Is ED a patient priority? Absolutely, yes. The trifecta after prostate cancer treatment consists of cancer control, of course. This is the most important. We want our men to survive. And again, be it surgery, radiation, we are accomplishing this, and the survival rates are now high for 15 and 20 years out. The second would be a return of continence because, again, not controlling your urine is a huge impact on quality of life. But finally, and because we're pretty good at the first and second, would be a return to sexual function. One of the things that's really changed over the last five to 10 years is the fact that we're identifying prostate cancer, for example, earlier. So you have high survival rates. You have young men that are being operated on. It means that a larger proportion of these men are living a longer period of time, and they have ED. Other than ED, are there other sexual dysfunctions that might be occurring in these men that we should be aware of? Unfortunately, yes. ED gets a lot of the publicity, and again, it's where most of the focus is from a clinical standpoint. But some of these men can't ejaculate, well, especially after radical prostate surgery, you don't. They're not able to achieve orgasm or they have painful orgasm. They have a leak that's associated with having sex. They have penile shortening or fibrosis. And again, as we've talked in other segments, they can get Peyronie's disease. What are some of the factors that would determine whether or not ED occurs in these men? So for someone who's operated on for prostate cancer, the biggest determinant would be whether or not those nerves can be spared at the time of surgery. Again, this really depends on the tumor, how much of the tumor there is, and whether the surgeon is able to peel off those nerves and keep them around safely. After that, it ends up being a lot of patient factors. So what the preoperative erectile function is like, the patient age, we know that the older the patient at the time of surgery, the less likely they're going to recover as fully. 
And then finally, medical conditions. There's a lot of medication that's associated with erection problems, including diabetic medications, hypertensive medications, and all of these end up limiting the chance of a return to normal function. Dr. Bella, what mechanisms are then responsible for specifically neurogenic ED, and why is it so much more difficult to treat? So I think we really need to address this in two separate parts. The first one is, you know, why is this happening? Well, when you operate or when you irradiate, you end up damaging the nerves. So with surgery, we know that it happens at the time of surgery. You stretch the nerve, you put little lacerations into it. Basically, you get a state of temporary paralysis, which can take up to 24 months to recover. What really makes this worse is that if your penis doesn't cycle through its normal nighttime erections or morning erections, you end up not really using the muscle that's inside those two cylinders that are responsible for erections, which you get fibrosis. So even if the nerves recover and they start to signal, it's like bouncing a ball off a wall. You're not really going to get any effect because that tissue no longer is normal. From radiation, we know that we end up basically frying the nerves. They're in the field of cancer treatment. And again, the priority is to treat the cancer and let men survive for longer and longer periods of time. We're good at that, but we're still causing collateral damage, which results in very difficult to treat ED because, again, the only signal going down there in order to initiate an erection are those two nerves. Now, there must be psychological aspects as well, though. Absolutely. What ends up happening is this is a multifactorial process. And again, we do talk about the nerves being damaged, but from a psychological standpoint, even a diagnosis of cancer is a starting point. Secondly, the post-cancer recovery. Again, there's patient and partner issues that are involved. It ends up being something where you often need more than one health professional involved in order to get the best clinical result. What can be done to help the recovery of erectile function after these men have surgery? I think this is where we've made the most strides over the last five to six years. Common sense is always first. So we talk about lifestyle modification and really controlling those things that are systemic. Again, what are we really talking about? We're talking about weight loss if you're obese, increasing exercise, controlling your cardiovascular risk factors, because again, neurogenic ED on its own is maybe about 20%. Neurovascular ED would be the vast majority of men. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Anthony Bella. We are discussing neurogenic erectile dysfunction. Dr. Bella, what about radiation treatment? Radiation treatment, again, is going to cause similar type of damage to the nerves, again, by a different mechanism, but the biggest difference there is going to be it's going to be on a delayed basis. So instead of seeing ED right after surgery, as you do with prostate cancer surgery, men who have radiation are going to see the peak of their erectile dysfunction or those changes anywhere from two to five years out. How do you figure out whether erectile dysfunction is neurogenic or not? It ends up being very similar to evaluating ED or any other cause. History is the key element. So again, here you have well-defined things that are happening to the patient, which you know are risk factors for causing nerve damage. And again, as part of a usual evaluation, you end up having a physical examination, psychosocial history, because you need to make sure that you're not missing the boat on other contributing factors to erectile dysfunction. Once again, from history, once you define that, hey, this is something that is neurogenic in origin, and if we've caught it early, i.e. after prostate cancer surgery within the first couple of months, we get to start to apply some of the 2008 knowledge, which would be penile rehabilitation. Penile rehabilitation? I know, it's an awful catchphrase, isn't it? But again, what is it? It's an active way of trying to protect the penile erectile tissue while those nerves recover. 
And this is something that's quite new, and it's something that is having an accumulating source of evidence for it. And it ends up being something that most patients, if you do explain to them why you're proposing what you are, they really understand that you're doing something proactive to try to aid in their recovery. So is there any place for testing at all in this? So again, it depends if we're looking at a reactive approach, so we're treating the ED or we're trying to prevent the ED after injury. So let's look at it in two different ways. If somebody's had prostate cancer treatment and they are at high risk for having erectile dysfunction, which they will be from a neurogenic origin, it makes sense to try to preserve and promote that recovery as best as you can. And again, in 2008, this will be a combination usually of using a PD-5 inhibitor, again, Viagra, Levitra, or Cialis, often in combination with programmed penile injections or medication that's put into the side of the penis with a needle, which allows for an erection to occur. And you do this on a program two to three times per week basis. Why do we even consider doing this? Because Francesco Mentors in Italy, who was a fairly intelligent guy, he decided to test what would happen if you did the injections two to three times per week. And what he found in two-thirds of his patients, they recovered normal erectile function. And by that, it means no drugs to help their erections or just a pill once they were done recovering from their prostate cancer surgery. The second question was, are there any specific tests to find out if somebody does have neurogenic ED? And yeah, the most commonly performed diagnostic procedure for ED is actually called the injection test or combined injection and stimulation. Here again, medication would be put directly into the side of the penis and with some stimulation, you observe whether or not a rigid erection occurs. What you're able to do is you're able to take the nerves out of the picture because, again, you're not dependent now to get an erection based on what the nerves are able to release in the penis. And you also are able to test the blood flow into the penis. So it gives you an idea of where the problem is and lets you really tailor your treatment to what is going on. Is one approach preferred over another? I think, again, most men would agree that the simplest and the least invasive and the best way to reapproximate natural erections is the way to go. So again, for all of my patients, we start with lifestyle modification. These are the things that are common sense, mom and pop, but again, lose weight, increase exercise, modify your risk factors for worsening ED, stop smoking. Again, these are good motivators with some good evidence behind them. First-line therapy for almost all men will be the oral agents or the pills, Viagra, Levitra, Cialis. These are safe. They're efficacious in most patients. But again, why are we talking about neurogenic ED? Because not all men with neurogenic ED are going to respond to the pills. And the biggest strength of the pills is the fact that they work in concert with your body and are dependent on those nerves functioning. The biggest drawback of the pills is that they're dependent on those nerves functioning. Mm -hmm. So if the nerves aren't working, it means we have to look at second-line treatments. And so second-line are the injections? So injections would be there, vacuum erection device, the uh, little pellet that you put in the penis called Muse. Those are things that would be considered second-line treatments or combinations of these approaches. And if that doesn't work, is there anything else? Again, something that's really not talked about and should be because, first of all, 30,000 men in the United States yearly have a penile implant put in. And why does this occur on such a frequent basis? A, because we have a lot of men who don't respond to first or second line therapy. And number two, this treatment gives satisfaction for the patient of over 93 to 95% if we look at hundreds of men. And from a partner standpoint, those numbers are even over 95%. So we have a good treatment, which is safe, which, of course, is surgery, so should be left for last, but it works and it is not dependent on those nerves. Dr. Bella, you're actively involved in research into neurogenic ED. What's happening? 
Well, the problem is at this time, we tend to always react to the injuries to the nerves because we don't really have any treatments that we can give at the time of surgery or radiation to really protect them or have them heal more efficiently. So there are a lot of things on the horizon that are being worked at at different institutions, and some of them, I think, are probably going to be ready for prime time within the next five or ten years. Namely, what are we looking at? We're looking at stem cells, for example, looking at different types of cells used, tailoring them to what's needed. And what's needed here will be trying to get the nerve machinery to work or actually to get the penile hydraulics to work. I guess the next question you ask, well, you know, what are the limitations? You know, the source of stem cells, ethical dilemma, of course. But again, there are people working on this who have interesting approaches. Okay. Well, thanks so much for being on our show today. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. We've been discussing neurogenic erectile dysfunction with our guest today, urologist Dr. Anthony Bella. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to our special segment on men's health on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Men's Health. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.